This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. We're ta- and I always love getting asked this question every week leading up to Easter. So what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I'm like, well, we don't need to get too creative. <laughs> we don't need to change any message. We're going to go with Jesus is alive. We're going to stick with that message this Easter like we did last Easter and the Easter's before because we want every person leaving knowing Jesus is alive. Your sins can be forgiven if you've never placed faith in Jesus. Your life can have meaning and purpose and heaven can be your home if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead. And we've been going through the series that ends today on Easter, but we've been going through the entire week leading up to Easter, the Passion Week or the Holy Week. We kicked it off six weeks ago. Adam kicked us off with the triumphal entry. We went all the way through to last week, the the death of Jesus. And today we come to the empty tomb. And we're going to look at the evidence of the empty tomb, the evidence of the resurrected Jesus and then the evidence of your life and mine. And Jesus said this in John eleven twenty five: I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And all God's people said. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, gathered in this room, there's so many different faith traditions, but 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating the resurrected Jesus. Um, Pentecostals are still shouting about it. Charismatics are still lifting their hands over it. Baptists are still amening it. Presbyterians are still studying it. Uh, Episcopalians are still toasting it. Uh, Anglicans are still chanting about it. And Catholics are still standing, kneeling, standing, kneeling, standing, kneeling (laughs) over it. And as non-denominationals, we're trying to bring all those expressions together uh, in one gathering. We're glad that you're here. Uh, You've maybe seen online... uh, the, the, the idea that you only had one job to do. So like when your team is in the big game and the kicker comes out and misses the field goal, what do you say? You only had one job to do. You had one job to do. So you see, I always love this with the highway department. Here's one. You only had one job to do. And it started by showing up to work sober. That was the first thing you should have done. Uh, but look, at just keep going. Spelling is a problem sometimes. Uh, you had one job to do. And that's a lot of bad spellers uh, out there. Uh, I love this next one. Uh, keep clear. And then this is for all of those that I just, uh, this next one is the best. You only had one job to do. And I had to fact check this next one because I didn't believe it. I thought someone photoshopped it and I fact checked it. And it is true. This guy missed the overpass and his truck says, on the road to success, there are no shortcuts. (laughs) That I did for all my RV friends out at Treasure Lake to watch the overpasses. You only had one job. And this morning, Woodland Hills Family Church, we have one job to do. And that is to make sure every single person watching and every single person on campus leaves knowing Jesus is alive. That's the only job we have to do today as we celebrate, as we teach, as we worship, as we share. And I I have a pastor friend who is sharing this with his family, the angst he feels every Easter, like to be creative, to be edgy, to find some new way to share. His dad heard him saying all this and his dad was like, son, you only got one job to do. 
be crystal clear with the message that Jesus is alive. And we want to make sure we share that message. We want to be clear about that message today. I, I love, I got this story. A mom sent me this picture a few weeks ago from Critter Street. They got in the car afterwards, and Hudson showed his paper. How many of you, you saw this that your kids brought home? The five loaves and two fishes. And uh, Hudson shared it with his mom, the story. Lots and lots of people showed up, and all they had was five loaves and two fishes. And mom asked, well, didn't Jesus do something pretty amazing to take care of this problem? To which Hudson said, nope. (laughs) They just runned out. And then he even tagged it with, isn't that sad? <laughs> and I love it. This is why parents, we believe you're the primary discipler of your child's heart. This is why you've got to keep asking. No, no, no. I think Jesus did something, am- like he did a big miracle. Mom's building it up, to which Hudson says, nope. <laughs> she texts me and she goes, what are you teaching up at that church? And as we do today as parents, we don't want to put any of the responsibility on Hudson's hearing. Can I get an amen on that right there? We, I... Uh, I just want to make sure we're crystal clear today as we talk about the evidence of the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus, and then the evidence of your life and the evidence of mine. We're going to start in Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 28. We're also going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. As we start at the empty tomb, we see all of the eyewitness testimony to the resurrected Jesus, and then we come to a place where we ask, what does this mean for you and what does this mean for me? In Matthew 28, 1 through 6, we read, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were were white as snow. The guards, now keep them in mind, because they're going to be a key... um, Their testimony is going to be key uh, in the evidence we have of the empty tomb. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And here is the message of Easter. Verse 6. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. This is important. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. If a man can predict his death and pull it off, you should go with whatever that man says. (laughs) He's not here. He's risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And today, as I walked the campus and as I stood in the back, I, I saw many people here and some coming in. And I know you're here with family. You were invited. And we're glad you're here. Some, some are here on the promise of brunch uh, after this service. For whatever reason, you find yourself here today. Here's our invitation to you. Come and see. We want you to come and see and hear the story of the resurrected Jesus. But now the tomb is empty. And this is a problem for the Pharisees. This is a problem for those who hated Jesus and crucified Jesus. They've got to come up with a story. Now, does anybody here remember when your kids are small? How many of you have small kids? And you've caught them in a lie. Have you ever caught your kid in a lie? Small ch- All of us know we're born in iniquity, so we're all born liars. But here's what we often forget. We're born terrible liars. Like, we're not good at it. 
And you ever catch your kid in a lie? I asked the worship team, because I was going to try to get another illustration. I said, hey, anybody here got a story from their small child telling a lie and getting caught? And it was like, whoop, they all came on me. Oh, I mean, I got, and they were trying to outdo each other who had the best story. We all got those stories. Catching a kid in a lie and being like, you didn't think this one through. You got caught and you didn't have time to develop your story. Mm-hmm. I, I was just thought about this this morning. But my brother and I used to, you know, play war. I know, not real power. We would play war in our backyard and shoot each other with BB guns. That's when kids were kids. Uh, and you want to lower the crime rate in this country, let your kids start shooting each other with BB guns this very minute. Uh, but my brother wasn't smart enough to not hit the house. We don't hit the house with the BBs. He actually hit the house with a... And when we were a little bit older, but he hit the house and put a hole in one of the windows... And it was, you could see where the BB went in, and there was a little shattering from it. And he went, oh, no. And you know me, I'm no big deal. I didn't do nothing. Uh, and, and my brother had to come up with a story. And he goes, here's what we're going to tell Dad. It was so windy back here, this big tree was blowing, blowing, blowing. Came down, boop, hit that little hole in the window and went back up. I, the number of times I would look at my brother while growing up and go, are you stupid? He's not going to buy that. He did. He bought that story. We were late into our teens before we told our dad the truth. We were made sure we had our own car and a way to get away. <laughs> but we tell stupid lies. And this, if you look, this isn't just a lie that the chief priests and elders have to come up with about the empty tomb. It's a bad lie. It's like you can tell they didn't have time to think this through. It's a bad lie, and it is, it's it's. It's unbelievable evidence for the empty tomb. And here's what happens. You read down a little bit further in Matthew 28, verses 12 through 13. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan. So this was after the guards came back and shared, tomb is empty. Which, if you're a guard, uh-oh. That's, that's like you had one job to do, right? Stand there and make sure no one goes in, no one comes out. The priests had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. So not, they have to sell a story. This is a bribe to get this story. And it's a bad one. It's a bad one. Telling them, you are to say, and here's the lie, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. We can make a lot of observations. We're going to make two. First of all, sleeping people make terrible eyewitnesses. <laughs> Just ponder that for a moment. 10, 10 o'clock's a lot faster than the 8.30 service. They weren't, they weren't getting it. Like, what do you mean? They were asleep. They're going to tell people we were sleeping and we saw the disciples come and steal the body. You were idiots. That's not going to work. And here's another observation, very important. In that day, if, if, some, if, if someone escaped from a guard, they were put to death. You had one job to do. So think about this for just a moment. Let alone someone comes into the tomb and says, these guards should have been put to death. So now they're the ones that are going to go share this story. Anyone who has just a basic understanding of the law would hear this lie and go, why are you still alive to tell about it? The tomb is empty and the Pharisees, chief priests, elders, they don't know what to do. So they start lying. And now you get to the evidence of the resurrected Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, The Apostle Paul says this to the church at Corinth. For what I received, I passed on to you. And what he's going to share, and Adam shared with me after the first service, I loved it. It's like he's he's telling the church at Corinth, there are people I'm going to talk about here that saw the resurrected Jesus 
fact check me. Go talk to him because many are still alive. And he says, for what I received, I passed on to you. And what he's saying is, I am a link in a chain of people who have seen the resurrected Jesus. And I am sharing my story and I'm sharing their story. And when you read this, we have to be reminded today, 2,000 years later, you and I are a link in the chain to continue to share the good news that Jesus died and rose again. And here's, he now gives the gospel. I received, I passed on to you as of first important that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And after that, he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Look at this, most of whom are still living. So go ask. Though some have fallen asleep, the biblical word picture for death. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And he declares, we've seen him, and here's what this means, and what he's going to start, and I always want to be reminded of this every Easter. He gives six things that happens to you and to me if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And you know, there's a lot of people today who are worshiping dead people. We worship one who is alive. There are a lot of people today who have staked their whole faith on someone who is dead, but we have faith in one who is alive. But what Paul is going to say to the church at Corinth is, think about for just a moment, if Christ has not been raised and he is still dead and buried, what that means for you and what that means for me, starting in verse 14. He says, and if Christ had not been raised, he's telling the church of Corinth, I want us to ponder this for just a moment. He says, our preaching is useless. Now, some of you have thought that before, unrelated to the resurrection. (laughs) But what he's saying is, our gathering and studying the scriptures together and learning the word of God together, it means nothing. He's saying, if Christ is still dead and buried, there's no purpose for you and I to be here right now doing what we're doing. There's no purpose to it. And so is your faith. Right? Again, people have faith in those who are, who are dead. We have faith in one who is alive. More than that, he says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Now we're speaking lies ourselves. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And usually, I've been making a practice of this the the last few Saturdays before Easter, uh, sharing with those who have lost loved ones and who are now mourning. And because that's right, Friday, right, that's, that's suffering and that's pain. Saturday is confusion and doubt. But today is life, hope, victory. And so on Saturday, I find myself texting or calling widows, widowers. I remember a few years ago doing this. We had a funeral uh, just a little bit before Easter. And the gentleman who lost his son was mad. He was in the anger stage of grief. He was mad. And, and you know, in those moments, if you want to mourn with those who mourn, we've talked about this a lot as a church, it's best just to practice the ministry of presence. Just be there. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to come up with a word. But I have found that that, that it's time to stretch ourselves a little bit on Saturday. I, I texted my friend. I said, I want to see you tomorrow at Woodland Hills. Join us for Easter. 
where we celebrate the resurrected Jesus and we talk about the resurrection of the dead. And you need to be reminded of that. Now, we don't, as 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about, Paul says, we don't mourn. Believers in Christ Jesus don't mourn like ordinary men. We mourn with hope because we believe Jesus died and rose again. And there are those who are mourning today. And I want to say, if Christ has not been raised, you mourn like ordinary men. But because Christ has been raised, you mourn with hope. He goes on to say, you're still in your sins. There's no forgiveness of sins if Christ has not been raised. Then those who have fallen asleep or who have died in Christ are lost. You've been to dreadful funerals. I've been to plenty of dreadful funerals where the person did not know the Lord. They never placed faith alone in Christ alone to spend eternity in hell separated from God. And I've been to those funerals. What, you know what Paul's saying? Has Christ not been raised? If that's the case, all funerals are dreadful. All of them are to be in misery. He goes on, if only this or for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But whatever, if you're Pentecostal, charismatic, Baptist, whatever your faith tradition has been, you can amen this. After saying all of this, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So whatever, we just, those six we just looked at, the six things that happened to us, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. What does that mean? Our gathering has great purpose. Our preaching has great purpose. The word of God going out still changes hearts and lives. Your life has purpose and meaning. In your brokenness, Jesus restores. He brings hope. He brings life. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven is your home. Those who have died in Christ, you will see them again one day. This is the joy we celebrate on this day. So we have the evidence of the resurrected Jesus, but we also have the evidence of your life. And at Woodland Hills Family Church, you need to know we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but we also believe in the power of the resurrection. Now, there are plenty of people that will be on campus today and at churches all across the country today who believe this historical event. They believe the tomb is empty. They believe Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. They believe all of that. But I'm going to ask you, do you believe in the power of the resurrection? There's a difference between believing in the resurrection and believing in the power. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And you need to know at Woodland Hills Family Church, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power available for you, your relationship, marriage, and family. I, I, I got to tell you, Woodland Hills Family, and I'll work through anything with you, anything you share with me, but you, you, you're not going to be met with a lot of dread or grief when you come to me and tell me something is hopeless. When you tell me your relationship, your family, your marriage, it's dead and there's no bringing it back to life, what are we doing here then? We're here because we believe Jesus was raised from the dead and we believe the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the exact same power that raises your lifeless soul at the moment of your salvation. You say, my marriage is dead. You can only bring dead things back to life. You can't bring living things back to life. Your marriage is dead. Your family is dead. Relationship is dead. That relationship with your son or with your daughter or with your mom or with your dad is dead. Do you believe in the power of the resurrection? Because we believe Jesus is still breathing life into dead people. We believe Jesus is still breathing life into dead marriages, dead families, and dead relationships. So today, believe in the resurrected Jesus and believe in the power of his resurrection. 
I had a young man last week came up to me. This was, this was, I'm loving the interaction. Young people are thinking, and they're thinking deeply. This young man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't, 10, 11, 12 years old, walks up to me after the last service, or maybe it was between 10, the 10 and 11.30. He hopped right up on the stage, walked up to me, and he goes, hey. I'm like, yep, what? What do we got going on? He goes, if Jesus did all of this, why do we still need hell? I'm like, okay, give me just a second. I was getting ready to put the table away. I was going to take a swig of water. This is a, is a pretty big question here. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll start with the good news. You don't need hell. Jesus died for you. And this, I love, I love when a young person has a passion. I, I said, uh, have you placed faith alone in Christ alone? Is Jesus your savior? Ah, of course. What do you think I'm doing here? I'm like, okay, hey. Well, that's a great way. We need to give that testimony more. Do you know the Lord? Of course I do. Maybe it's cuter with a 10-year-old than a 50-year-old. It's a little, little hostile when I do it, I know. But Jesus still breathing life. And this is what I love the story of the man born blind. Jesus heals this man, and now he's got to go in and give an account. <laughs> this is so fantastic. They want, because the people that hated Jesus, the people that would ultimately crucify Jesus, wanted to know what happened to you, and I want you to tell me about Jesus. I, last week, the clip with Alistair Begg that I know a lot of us have spent time thinking about this week. The thief is there with the angel. Why should I let you in? And the thief's going, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, do you know the doctrine of substitutionary atonement? Do you know the doctrine of justification by faith? What does the thief say? Oh, no, I don't. Well, on what basis should I let you in? And he says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. And I want that to be your testimony today. May that be your testimony. That you would place faith alone in Christ alone. And then when asked, look at what the man born blind who's now healed says. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not because they're wanting to know about Jesus. He says, I don't know. Some of you, you're not going to be able to answer all the questions you get asked. That's what he said. I don't know. These questions you're throwing at me right now. It's a lot. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That I know, that I'm clear on, that I'm walking in. And we want you to leave today. Come and see, but here's what we will. Come, see, believe. That you would place faith alone in the resurrected Jesus. One of my traditions every Easter is waking up early and listening to the Gaither vocal band sing He's Alive. I don't listen to a lot of Southern gospel, but I do every Easter. I listen to worship and country music. Those are my two primary things. But on Easter, I have got to hear David Phelps hit that note, and he's alive. And every time I'm listening to it, my thought is, I'm a tenor. I can hit this note. And I do, with the headphones on. And then the next time I listen to it with the headphones off, I say, I am not a tenor. I cannot hit that note. And there are times, Amy will tell you, man, I'm belting it out, and I'll just, I'll, 4 a.m., I'll feel her hand come over on my shoulder in the bed and be like, there, there, buddy. And just settle on down, settle on down. And then I'll invite her to join me for worship, and she gets a little heavier. Not right now. We've got a long day ahead of us. And it's a scene that I love, and it comes to us, John 20, verses 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, 
the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to call people right now by name. You're here, family, friends, you're here at an invitation. Yes, come and see, come and see, come and see that the tomb is empty. Come, see, and believe. Believe in the resurrected Jesus. And then look at this, verse 9. To me, this is so important for those who think they have to figure it all out before believing in Jesus. That they have to be able to answer all the questions. Look at what it says. They're in the middle of this scene. And it says in verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Sleeplessness rose at every sound, half in hope and sorrow, half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all the way. And just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, and a voice began to call. I hurried to the window. Looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told me where she'd been. She said they moved him in the night, and none of us knows where. Stone's been rolled away and now his body isn't there. So we both ran to the garden and John ran on ahead. We found the stone, an empty tomb, just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet they wrapped him in was just an empty shell. How or where they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Well, something strange had happened there, just what I did not know. John believed a miracle, and I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me there. Because I'd seen them crucify him, and then I saw him die. Back inside the house again, the 
guilt and anguish came Everything I promised him just added to my shame When at last it came to choices I denied I knew his name And even if he were alive It would never be the same But suddenly the air was filled with a strange and sweet perfume came from everywhere, from shadows from the room, and Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide, and I fell down on my knees, and I just clung to him and cried, and he raised me to my feet, and as I looked into his eyes, love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweetness, and every fear that I'd ever had just melted into peace. Sweet peace. One more time to hit that note, Matt. You got one more service. They said, come up and say something afterwards. I said, what? No. Unbelievable. As we celebrate the resurrected Jesus today, and we had two people that got baptized after the last service. And uh, I remember one time my daughter was young. We were at an airport, and she went up and asked the guy. She had to be four years old and asked the guy if he believed in Jesus. And that's when I kind of back off. Like, let's see what the four-year-old can pull off uh, here. And the guy, guy said, yeah, I, I, I do. And she said, I'll never forget. She goes, well, I believe in him and I have been baptized. <laughs> and I, she was four. I can't remember how old she was. But I want that to be your testimony uh, today, that I came, I saw the empty tomb, and I believed. And Scripture says, if you will declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. And as I pray, I'm going to walk out this aisle. And if you would like to be baptized today, Shay and I will be standing over at the chapel down by the baptismal. Just come up, uh, meet me. I'd love to meet you. And you'll get to go home with a a dry shirt. We can promise you that. Uh, Dry clothes. And um, 
And we'd love to celebrate that as we welcome you into the family of God and all God's people said. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we uh, have seen the empty tomb. Uh, We know the resurrected Jesus, and for that we are grateful. Jesus is alive. Our sins are forgiven. Our life has purpose, and heaven is our home. We are grateful. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. For the dead marriage, dead family, dead relationship, that today would be the day that the person, the mom, the dad, the husband and wife calls out, cries out uh, for the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to raise their relationship. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.